Sego. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Uh, look, I want to welcome everybody to the program. Uh, for those listening in New York City on WBAI and those listening in D Washington, D.C. on WPFW, I encourage uh, um, both audiences and perhaps even some of the audiences listening as a podcast or perhaps streaming us online if you if you asked uh, Alexa to play us or whatever. Um, but I encourage you to go to your pledge lines if you're in New York City. Uh, that's 202-588-9739, or go online to WPF. I'm, I'm sorry, I got it exactly backwards. If you're in Washington, go to go to 202-588-9739, or go online to WPFWDC.org slash donate. If you're in New York, of course, you go to 212-209-2950, or go online to give to WBAI.org. Make a donation in the name of uh, this this program, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're all expected to carry our weight, and I think we do. It may not always translate into direct donations during the hour that I'm on, but uh, uh, the more of you that do that, the, the better it, it, uh, it shows for me. So, um, all right. Hey, last week I was off. Um, even in Washington, I, I think we, we had to play um, uh, an older show. And the reason I was off is, look, I'm still battling this, this damn infection. From I got knee surgery done back in January. And, um, and it got infected, and I've been injecting antibiotics at home through a pick line that was in this arm. Um, for those of you who can see me on Facebook live stream, that is. Um, and, uh, and it went okay for almost five weeks, and, uh, and then it wasn't very effective. It started being less effective, and I started getting, experiencing some fevers and chest pains. So I went back to the hospital. So I was in the hospital for a couple of days last week, uh, which essentially was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, no real cause for alarm other than to, you know, try a different, uh, a different antibiotic. And of course, they had the test to make sure that I wasn't developing a new infection or a different infection. Um, look, I know we do a lot of health shows on WBAI, um, and, uh, and so it always seems strange to come on and talk about a health issue. But uh, look, my, my knee surgery was, uh, was supposed to be an upgrade. It turned out to be a setback, but I'm doing better now, and uh, hopefully I don't have to miss too many more programs uh, uh, on account of it. You know, the part of the reason for getting the knee surgery is I want to be able to get more mobile. I'd love to make the trip to New York again, perhaps Washington. I also want to do some speaking engagements um, um, and, and kind of get back on the road in this post-COVID era now. So, th so that's the plan. Um, but anyway, enough enough about me and you know some of my my uh, trials and tribulations. Um, one of the things that I did ha do while I was still <laughs> in the hospital was I actually participated in what is uh, called the Advisory Council to the New York State Department of Education, and I'm a part of that council. No, I'm not employed by the state, so don't get, don't get too carried away. Um, I've just been asked to be one of the Native Voices. I don't represent the council. I am just a part of it, um, and we are par part of what we're doing is evaluating what schools... Um, are doing to try to either keep their native mascots in New York after the ban that was issued back in November, or somehow sidestep the rules or whatever else. And, and one of the rules that, that exists is that if a school gets permission from the nation that whose territory they're in um, or are closely associated with, um, they can keep it. Now, that wasn't anticipated to be a widely used uh, exception. Uh, I live out in Seneca Territory, and, and uh, the, the Seneca Nation Territory south of uh, Cattaraugus, where I live, is Allegheny. 
on the territory of Allegheny, the city of Salamanca, 95% of the city is located on that territory. And their city school uh, calls themselves the Warriors. And there was some discussion about the possibility that they might ask for an exception because a lot of Senecas you know, go to that school um, and it is on Seneca territory. But really, when I say a lot, I only mean 20% of the student body. So I don't know that, I haven't seen anything where the city of Salamanca School District has asked permission. I think there was a, almost an assumption that would happen, but I don't know if that's happened. But, uh, um, and, and the clock is ticking, so that's, it's not going to last forever. So, um, but here's kind of what we do. What we do is we, we, we review the requests that have come in either to NYSED, the New York State Department of Education, or sometimes uh, they've put our email out there as the advisory council. We've gotten some requests directly to the advisory council. And, and so there are requests like, well, we still, like Watkins Glen, we're still using the word Senecas for our name, uh, but we don't mean the Seneca people, we mean Seneca Lake. And of course, we pretty much give a thumbs down to that and say, no, no, that, that's not going to fly. Um, but we also have other schools that, that try to keep the name or, or change it a little bit. So you get, a, you get a school like calling themselves the Red Raiders. Well, they drop red. And they said, we're going to continue to call ourselves the Raiders, and uh, we're not going to use any native imagery. Well, the question we have is, then what the hell is a Raider? I mean, wh what are you claiming to be? I mean, somebody that pillages and plunders a village? I mean, I, I, that doesn't even make sense. And, and how would you seek pride in that? I mean, beyond, you know, all of the, oh, we were only trying to honor native people by using, you know, native references. Well, calling yourselves Raiders in our name or imagery, eh, that's not really a compliment, you know, or... Or some of the other words, and, and I'll give you a, a couple more. Um, there's a school um, downstate from where, uh, upstate from New York, but downstate from here, called uh, uh, Minisink Valley. And they have called themselves the Warriors, and they're pitching that they're going to keep the name and just use their letters, MS, as their logo. Well, then again, what the hell is a warrior? Especially if you've been a native-imaged warrior for 50, 60, 70 years, how do you think that that, that meets the requirement of, uh, of what NYSED has put out there in terms of this ban? It doesn't. And so, so that's not going to fly. Now, we haven't heard all of these, uh, these issues yet. This is what I follow because, look, I might be on the council, and I don't speak for the council, but I'm an activist. This is what I do. And so when I saw, in fact, when I, when I saw a news headline uh, just yesterday uh, on the, the news in the Albany area, uh, they had announced that the Fonda-Fultonville School District had reached an agreement with the Mohawk Nation to keep calling themselves the Braves. Well, here's the problem with this. They, they didn't really. They, they got one guy who has this like Indian village set up um, in that area, right near Fulton, uh, Fonda and Fultonville. And it's kind of like an Indian village, but it's almost like a commune and he solicits donations and does speaking engagements, sells some books, that, uh, a book or two that, that this guy had written. And, and the guy's name is Tom Porter. And many of us know Tom Porter from years ago. And he used to sit on, um, on the Mohawk Nation Council, which is, and when I say Mohawk Nation Council, I mean the Longhouse in Aquasasne that, um, that puts a council, and as such would actually sit in Grand Council. But he hasn't done that in years. I, so I'm a little surprised that he's still claiming to be a chief. But he doesn't live in Aquasasne. He doesn't live in a native territory. He lives in his own little commune down in, uh, in an area called Kenna Jahari. In fact, his commune is called 
Kana Chochwari, and it's uh, it's the Mohawk um, pronunciation of what that word has been essentially bastardized to Kana Jahari. Um, so they got Tom Porter to sign a letter. Now it's not a letter he wrote, and it's not a letter on Mohawk Nation letterhead or or anything else. It's a letter drafted by the Fonda Fultonville School District, and and it lists you know um, you know how they're going to proceed. By keeping the name Brave or Braves and get rid of all native imagery. In fact, in a separate letter that I saw from the, the, the Fonda Fultonville um, School District, was that they were they were actually going to use the word brave as it relates to the, the final line of the national anthem. And here's the crazy part. <laughs> this is supposed to be education, right? <laughs> this is supposed to be schools. And what, what they claim was when they say land of the free and home of the brave. That word brave is being used as a noun. Um, sorry, no, it's not. It's, it's an adjective. The only definition of the word brave as a noun, if you look it up in a dictionary, is, is it like a native warrior. A Native American warrior is what the dictionary would say or something to that effect. It's, a, it's an adjective. Now, brave can't be used as a verb if you say, okay, I'm going to brave this storm and, uh, and, and make it to the store. But this... In this case, when they say the land of the free, free isn't a noun either. It's an adjective. It, and the assumption or, or you know, wh what's given is that when they say the land of the free, they mean free people and land of the brave people. But it's, it's still an adjective. So they, they're saying, well, we're going to use this patriotic line from the national anthem and continue to use the word brave. However, we're going to pluralize it because we're saying every individual in our school is a brave, and so we're going to call them the braves. Well. That, that's not even grammatically correct for what you're claiming to be doing here. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. And, and then they, they, they suggest that they've had conversations with Tom Porter over the years where Tom Porter has described, well, what the attributes of a brave are. Now, let me be clear. That's not an expression that we use. We don't have a Mohawk word that, that translates to a, a quote-unquote brave. We do have a word that some have translated to warrior, and it, and it means, and it's really scuffled again. And it means that we carry that medicine pouch. And it, and it refers to the men, because the men carry the medicine pouch with, with soil from their birthplace and maybe their umbilical cord or a few things that they, they associate with, um, you know, with their lives. Uh, and, you know, and they sometimes will add stuff to that. But, but it's, that word, really scuffled again, has, has been. Um, interpreted as the men or the or quote unquote the warriors, but we don't have. But but it doesn't mean that we're always waging war. So it, it doesn't really accurately translate to warrior. It's just you know that's kind of what the outside has done. You know uh, when we created a flag that was considered we considered a unity flag uh, out of the Mohawk territory, and we hoped that others would use it, and indeed they have. That flag became known as the warrior flag. Well. We let that pass because we felt like it had a psychological, uh, it gave us a psychological advantage. But, but, it, but again, there is no braves in Haudenosaunee culture. That's, that's just not a word that we use, and there's no word that translates to it that, uh, that we use. So, so Tom Porter trying to tell this, you know, this, this, these white people you know, about the attributes of a brave and speaking as though he was not only a spiritual leader of his commune, but now representing himself as, also as a doctor, I guess. He called him Dr. Chief Tom Porter. I don't know if he got some honorary degree and that's what he's referring to or, or, what, or what the Fonda Fultonville 
uh, school district was referring to. Tom didn't sign it as chief or as doctor. He just signed it as Tom Porter. They, they had all of the language in the letter that he signed. It wasn't on Mohawk Nation letterhead. It wasn't on something, on any kind of letterhead that you would attribute with, the, with, with Mohawk people. It was the school's letter with Tom's signature on it. And, and, it, and it doesn't even represent an explicit um, uh, permission for using, I mean, honestly, it just reads as a letter from the Fultonville. It's, it actually is a, it's a letter addressed to Tom Porter that he signs at the end. And they're calling it this you know, historic agreement between the Mohawk Nation. Well, the Mohawk Nation hasn't agreed to this. And Tom doesn't represent the Mohawk Nation. He doesn't even really represent the Longhouse in Akwesasne. And the rule as it's written, and I'm not saying that, that I'm in favor of this completely, but, but, but the rule as it's written suggests that you need to get permission from a state or federally recognized tribal nation. Well, what Tom is representing as a chief of the Mohawk Nation, which, or, or, or a chief of the, the long, one of the, the men on council in, um, uh, in Akwesasne, that's not necessarily a federally recognized tribe. And you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't meet the rule. So Channel 10 News in Albany put this thing out there and they said they couldn't, didn't, didn't get any response back from, from NYSED or, or anybody else. So they just put it out there as, as just this matter of fact that the Mohawk Nation and the Fonda Fultonville had reached an agreement and that, uh, um, and that somehow they were going to be permitted to keep this, um, this name, the, the Braves, and, and they're going to try to reinterpret it. Well, for one thing, if you're reinterpreting it as something that has nothing to do with Native people, then you wouldn't need Native permission anyway. But you would also, but you would need NYSED and the council that I'm a part of to sign off on, yeah, it, it, it's, it's adequately distanced themselves uh, as a Native uh, mascot. And it hasn't. And, you know, in fact, none of the names have. You know, so whether you're calling yourself the Senecas, the Raiders, the Braves, the Warriors, you know, we've, we've got a couple of schools, you know, like I said, Minisink, you know, claims they're going to call themselves the Warriors still. And it's not going to be associated with, 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 with a, a native warrior anymore. Well, what the hell is it? I mean, and, and what, by definition, is a brave? And, and no, you can't use its adjective version used in the, dec, uh, in the uh, national anthem. But here's, a, here's another example of, of uh, uh, again, another team that was using warriors. And now it's not in New York State. It's in Colorado. Colorado passed a ban, too. But they also said if you had permission. And the, the school is called Arapaho High School. I don't know why it's called Arapaho High School. And they call themselves the Arapaho Warriors. Now, there is no local Arapaho nation there in Colorado. There are other native nations that, that should be able to speak to this. But instead, this school somehow negotiated permission with the Arapaho nation in Wyoming to give them permission as a Colorado school to keep it. And that stuff doesn't even make sense. So some of this stuff may not necessarily fly. I know in New York, the advisory council that I'm a part of is, uh, has a strong role in the thumbs up or thumbs down on these schools trying to um, keep the, their native mascots or some version of it. And so I know that we're not going to let some of this stuff fly. And at the end of the day, NYSED, the New York State Department of Education, is going to defer to our uh, recommendations, but it is they who will make the determination. 
It may, they may make it based on our recommendations, but we're not going out there, you know, beating up any schools over their names. Uh, but I said flat out back in November said, time's up. You know, 20 years ago, we, we asked you to drop these names and you didn't. So you need a plan in place by the end of the school year, getting rid of these, 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 these native mascots. And the only exception is if you get permission. Most of them aren't pursuing permissions. So this, this um, you know, what I call chief shopping that uh, the Fonda Fultonville did, where they went out and tried to find somebody they, that they can hoist up as a, as a chief. And we've seen it in other places. I, you know, I saw another state where, um, where a school used a, some guy who has a 501c3 and claims to be, and uses that as the basis for him claiming to be a chief. And and try to get permission from him to keep a, a native name and, and and of course this is absurd and this is what I'm referring to as chief shopping. We're just looking for somebody. Who, I mean, and this is somewhat reminiscent of the old days when they they would just find somebody to sign a treaty, whether they were legitimate or not, whether they had the the legal authority to do it. I mean, there is nothing in the document that Tom Porter signed that says I am a chief and I have the authority to represent the Seneca nation. And I, and I hereby grant you permission. There's nothing in the letter. It, I mean, it's not a letter that he wrote. And it isn't a letter that, uh, that he attests to doing anything. He just happened to put a sign, uh, sign it and put a date on it. In fact, the letter was written on February 7th and he only signed it on, uh, on March 3rd. So yeah, it's, it's shady on a bunch of different levels. And, and this is what we're experiencing. Now, I know I've talked about mascots a lot um, on, on this program. And frankly, in the, in the last couple of months, because of my medical issues or my health issues, I have been able to, to be a part of this advisory council. So it is kind of the, the work that I'm doing. It's not the only work that I'm doing, but it is kind of the work that I'm doing. And so now we're getting inundated with either with letters like the one from Fonda Fultonville that su suggests that they... They had negotiated permission from the Mohawk Nation or these other letters that are saying, well, we're not going to use native references anymore. We're just going to call ourselves you know, warriors or, or, or raiders or whatever else. And, and thus far, as an advisory council, we have not approved this, a single one of these requests. And, but in this situation with the, the Fonda Fulton, we haven't even addressed this yet because it just came in and we meet every two weeks and we're not going to meet till next week. But... Nye said, they, you know, they put a stop to this right away. They said, look, you don't even meet the rule requirement, which says you have to be a federally recognized tribe giving permission. Now, obviously, you've heard me talk about my concerns about state or federal recognition for, for quote-unquote tribes. And, and part of it is the, the federal definition of a recognized tribe is a tribe band or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. Now, almost none of us accept that. I mean, uh, in fact, back in 1934, when they passed the Indian Reorganization Act, which was about, which had a lot to do with that definition, all of us that are in, you know, you know within the geographical area known as New York, rejected the, um, the Indian Reorganization Act and that definition. Ironically, well, and part of that, that whole thing was to try to undermine traditional governance and so the Indian Reorganization Act was all about trying to create new uh, constitutions and elected systems. And the, and the federal government has never been crazy about recognizing traditional governments, um, you know, the ones that are more historic. And, uh, and I don't want to call them just chief systems because in our, in our situation, it's really a clan system. But they've never wanted to recognize it. But they have. 
I mean, the Onondaga Nation is not an elected council. Um, they operate mostly through through tradition or, or culture as they know it. Uh, the Tonawanda Band of Senecas, they have a, a traditional, uh, traditionally chosen or, or selected uh, uh, chief's council. Um, I think Tuscarora does too. But you know what? Many of these native communities, like Aquasasne, which is really represented as far as New York State is concerned by the St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Council. But Aquasasne has a bunch of people, a bunch of native people that, that are Mohawks that don't recognize the St. Regis Tribal Council. They don't vote in their elections. Uh, there's actually two longhouses there. Uh, one is considered the Great Law Longhouse, and the other one is he calls themselves the Mohawk Nation, which is what you know Tom Porter was claiming to be a part of. But neither one of those longhouses would even would even try to get federal re recognition as a a um, a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. I mean, they've they've always existed, but New York State has always chosen to advocate and and only have relationships with the St. Regis. Mohawk Tribal Council, which again is a, they have they have chiefs, but they're elected chiefs. So there are traditional governments, and there are and look, and we hear people all the time. We we see them all over um, the internet. Uh, folks who who may or may not really be chiefs or call themselves chiefs, but they may not be federally recognized as the leaders of a, of a nation, and that's problematic for me in many different ways. But I'm not the one who drafted this rule. For I mean, obviously the New York State Department of Education has to draw the line on, on who can qualify as giving permission. And while we didn't draft the rule, that, this was the immediate response that, um, uh, that NYSED gave, is that you know, Tom Porter does not recognize, uh, is not recognized as a, uh, uh, as a leader or, uh, or a representative of a, of a recognized nation. So it got shot down right away. I'm sure that we're going to discuss it. And in fact, as soon as I heard the news story, I reached out to um, the advisory council, uh, both the, the NYSED representatives that, that work with us uh, and the rest of the council about this. I reached out to, uh, uh, to, to my friend Harry Wallace. And I mean, the first thing we see this thing is, what, the, what is Tom Porter doing? But, but here's, let me explain it, though. See, Tom Porter got some land donated to him. I mean, he, he, he quit being on council many decades ago. And he took up this, um, this almost commune or Indian village type situation in what is known as Canada Jahari. That's right. That's, that's almost adjacent to the Fonda Fultonville um, school district. So he's a local guy as far as th that school district is concerned. And they claim to have had you know, relationships with him since uh, 2002. Um, but if they've been trying to regard him as as a chief of the Mohawk nation all those years, knowing that he was just living locally and, and not even living in a, uh, in a, in a quote unquote native community, then shame on them. And, and this isn't a mistake or an accident. This is somebody who's trying to manipulate somebody local who probably needs local support. Look, Tom exists on people who come to his village, which isn't really a native community. I mean, it's, it's set up like an Indian village. They have a longhouse there. They actually do ceremonies for which they charge white people admission to. You know, they do the strawberry festival and you can go there and hang out all day and drink strawberry juice and maybe learn about what our real Thanksgiving uh, related to the strawberry festival is. 
But this is the kind of thing he does. And, I, and I'm not condemning him for what he does. Like he, he, found, he carved out an existence that, that he thinks that he can continue to practice his belief and his culture. But it's not in the midst you know, of, a, of, a, of a grander Native community. Now, Tom does make the, make the rounds. He does speaking engagements. He gets paid to speak. And that's how he uh, supports himself and his community. They, he solicits, solicits donations. He also solicits volunteers to come in and help maintain the grounds, including painting the buildings and that kind of stuff. So him having warm, fuzzy relationships with, yeah, you know, the, the, the local school district or, or a local school district is probably good for business. It's a not-for-profit that he runs, but that's how he earns his living. So it's obviously there's a conflict of interest there, um, and it's and it's anything but legit, and and that's why I called it chief shopping. I mean, now look, this school district may have had this relationship with Tom Porter all these years, but there's a little bit of misrepresentation going on here, and clearly the school district district can look up who are the the quote unquote federally recognized tribes in New York and know that who they're dealing with isn't it. I mean, you can actually get uh, reach out to the Bureau of Indian Affairs and find out who's on the councils of those governments, or, or elected or otherwise. So when Channel, Two, or Channel 10 in Albany ran the story, I was really disappointed in the story as well because they could have checked the facts either. They could have found out, well, is Tom Porter really a legitimate chief in the eyes of the state? I mean, regardless of how some people may view him, this this is a state rule. This is a state agency that governs over state schools. So, you know, uh, you know, I recognize that a longhouse can can produce its own chiefs council or men's council, and and I've worked with some. But, uh, you know, w- what I recognize, you know, is not necessarily what you know what the federal government does. I mean, there are the Tuscaroras of North Carolina, for instance. I mean, I recognize them. Does the federal government? Well, no, they don't. They recognize the Tuscaroras out here in western New York as if every Tuscarora had left their original homelands, which I think is, you know, kind of unfair. <clears throat> but, but again, the problem is, for me, is that federal recognition, the way they define it, is not the way we would choose to define it. They define it as a tribe, banner, nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. Now, I'm sure Onondaga does not accept that definition. In fact, I w- I'm sure that even the, the St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Council doesn't accept that definition. We all, at some level, defend our autonomy and our distinction. It's what we've always done. And the vast majority of quote-unquote tribes that the federal government recognizes are not tribes that asked to be recognized as a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. Now, the, the federal government has played a masterful role in separating various nations from, uh, you know, or splitting them. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Mohawk, but I'm from Gunnawaga. You know, and in New York, the federal government, or in the United States, the federal government only recognizes the St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Council. Even though they, in a roundabout way, recognize the Grand Council that sits at Onondaga, which is something a little separate than the Onondaga Council. But all of these traditional governments, or, or many of these traditional governments, are a part of putting together the Grand Council that the federal government has given some acknowledgement to. They don't, I'm not saying they recognize the Haudenosaunee as a tribe, band, or nation of Indian support of the law of the United States. But look, they, they clearly will not concede um, 
our own autonomy or our, or our full sovereignty in, in places like Onondaga or anyplace else. So this is the, you know, kind of the ongoing battle. This gets to be a bit of a slippery slope, and I'm not advocating that, that the use of only federally recognized tribes is, is something that I accept, even if it's what the state accepts. But clearly, you know, somebody thought they had Tom Porter backed into a corner to, you know, to sign this document, and, um, and it's, it's really wrong. I mean, and it's ex exploitive, and their whole explanation about keeping the name Braves is, you know, is really relying on our ignorance, I guess. I mean, and frankly, obviously, ignorance to English grammar as well. So this is kind of what we're doing as a council. And we haven't addressed every school. We have addressed some gen generic names like, like Raiders, like Warriors. Um, uh, and, and we'll probably address names like Braves. I and mean, look, we, there's a school out in the, uh, in the eastern part of the state that was called themselves the Corinth Tomahawks. Well, I've dealt with the, the Tomahawk name in um, Connecticut, Glastonbury, Connecticut. They call themselves the, the Tomahawks. And, and a board member inquired with me, and I explained, look, a Tomahawk isn't an axe. It's not a hatchet. It essentially was a, was a war club. And I'm not saying it didn't have other uses, and it's depending on the sharpness of the, of the, the axe head or the, the, the Tomahawk head, I guess. Um, you know, it, it could be used for other purposes. But, but it, was a, it was a weapon. And... To suggest that somehow it's just an implement or a tool and it doesn't necessarily have to be associated with native people, it's just wrong. So Corinth, yeah, you're gonna change your you're gonna change your, your mascot too. And in fact, all of these schools are going to it. Even the ones that are trying to dig in and trying to come up with either through chief shopping uh, permission or trying to manipulate their um, I mean their name. I mean, look, even my high school alma mater, Cambridge Central School. I think even if they tried to say, we're not going to call ourselves the Cambridge Indians referring to Native people, we're going to refer to the people from India. I don't think we'd even let that fly as, as an advisory council. And of course, it would still be wrong, uh, even if it wasn't, you know, exploiting our culture or our imagery. And, you know, and this is the thing they have to explain. And, and I've said it before on the show, but let me explain it again. For any of these schools, and I saw a couple of stories that where somebody says, why should something that was meant to honor people be considered disrespectful? Well, because it wasn't meant to honor us. There was never a school that said, we're going to choose this mascot, Redskin, Warrior, Indian, um, and we're going to do it because we're paying homage to the Native people who apparently we ran off this land. I mean, that, that doesn't even make sense. But if you're not even going to use the right name, you're not even going to call us who we are, or even bother to find out who we are. In Cambridge, they call themselves the Indians, but they don't even know what Indians they claim to be. So it's absurd for any of these schools or any of these alumni or, or anybody else to say, well, we only chose that name to honor them. No, you didn't. You chose that name because of characteristics that you wanted to apply to yourself that you could cast on the image that you were recreating. I mean, you're not using a native imagery um, and representing us as fathers or grandfathers or mothers or grandmothers or people of peace. No, you've got us always cast as a violent, virile, masculine, uh, aggressive image. And that's what you put on the side of your, your football. That's what you paint on your, on your walls. Either that or worse yet, you do it as a cartoon image. So, no, I'm sorry. 
you, it was never about us. And the way you could tell it was never about us is the second we said, you know, that's not appropriate. You know, you shouldn't be taking our imagery and making a mockery of it because you've recreated what you think a native person is. And the other thing is, it also is always a reference to native people who are no longer here. So we're being cast as relics of the past. That was what the St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Council said. Look, th that's the other problem with the, with the mascot issue. None of them represent us as a living, breathing people, only as relics of the past. And generation after generation of students, both the students who go to those schools and the students who maybe compete against those schools. I don't know any school district that didn't have a team, um, or, or, or I want to say school, some districts only had one school, but any of these, these areas or leagues, let's call it sports leagues, high school sports leagues, none of them were absent a, a, some sort of native representation, including in Pennsylvania. I'm mean, crossing the border where my, where my grandkids go to school. There's a school in their league that, uh, that calls themselves the Red Raiders, and they've got uh, you know, uh, uh, an image of a native person in full Western uh, headdress, so they don't even use any local imagery or attempt to. But they are stereotypes of, of, a, of an image created out of our, you know, perhaps somehow representing uh, our culture or, or a native culture, but they're never accurate. They're, they're always misrepresentations visually. They're always misrepresentations in terms of the words and the language they use, whether it's raiders, red raiders, or red devils, or, I mean, any number of things that are always derogatory. I mean, um, redskins. I mean, the, this, these are the words that have been used. I mean, even to use words like Seneca, which, yes, the Seneca Nation calls themselves the Seneca Nation, but they're also moving away from using that word Seneca because that's not their real name. They're Onondawaga, the people of the big hills or the people of the mountains. You know, I, I can explain to somebody that I'm Mohawk because they'll understand that, but then I usually try to explain that, but the real word is Gunyagahaga, the people of the land of Flint. Nobody's going to call themselves that. Even though they've bastardized our language for many of their towns, like Schenectady or, or you know, Schoharie or Kennejahari or any of these other towns that exist in, in New York, you know, especially along the Mohawk Valley, um, they've bastardized all those words, but then they use, a, a, you know, uh, a, some English word that they claim is, you know, that they try to represent as, as being a native image. But it's never about us. I mean, again, they don't capture... They don't ask us how would we define ourselves and then use those characteristics that we claim to represent as, as their characteristics. No. They want to be scary like a bear or a lion or a tiger. So they, they put a very aggressive-looking, fierce-looking, um, angry, oftentimes native man. You know, usually they've got them decked out, you know, like, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. Um, you know, painted on their on their gym floor or on their wall or murals or whatever else, or they use some generic stereotypical image. You know, I, I talked about Cambridge. They they, they use a profile of a, what would be generally described as a period piece, I guess, where at one time that would have been a representation of an Eastern Woodland Native person. But you know what? 
30 schools up and down the East Coast use the same image. They just have different color schemes. And maybe they lengthen a feather or something like that. And it's a profile of, of, a, of a native with, most, you know, with, with a braid and, and feathers in, it, in his hair. And it's the same image. None of them have been creative enough to even attempt to represent um, any, certainly no modern image of what a native person looks like because that doesn't work for them. And more often than not, we know that the schools have used the, the stereotypical Plains Indian headdress that Hollywood created and, and became you know, the, um, uh, the iconic imagery of what a native person is. And like I said, generation after generation of students are being taught that that's what an Indian is. That's what a redskin is. That is what a raider or a warrior or a brave or simply just a Native American. And the crazy part is all of these schools who use these, these words won't refer to us as those words. They refer to themselves as those. They call themselves redskins or braves or warriors. But when they refer to Native people, they never use that word, those words. Even the word Indian. They don't use the word Indian. They say Native American. Not even crazy about that word. Native is fine without the American. But so there is no respect given, and especially when we tell them that it's inappropriate. Instead, we, we get insulted, oftentimes in, uh, threatened or uh, in, in some, somehow discredited that we don't have the right to speak. In fact, you'll have tons of people who claim that their grandmother was a Cherokee princess or maybe a Mohawk princess. No, there was, were no Mohawk princesses or Cherokee princesses. And they'll claim, well, since I have native blood, I think it's okay, it should, it should stand. Well, you're not a part of a native community. Even if you do have native ancestry somehow deep within your DNA, that doesn't make you a native person. That means that you, that means some, some native person was probably raped in your fam family lineage, really. Let's be honest. Because that's, that's usually how most of this happened. Or in the case you know, of some of the race mixing between uh, black people and, and native people, yes, there was a lot of cooperation between the two. But there was also enslavement of both. Native women were used as broodmares for, for, uh, for, for breeding more slaves. So, no, this history isn't, oh, I'm, I'm part Native, so I, I, you know, I, I can say this, this, and this. I can represent uh, a Native voice in this conflict. No, you can't. If you're not a part of a community, if you don't live in an environment that is governed by a, by a Native uh, council of some sort, then you're just living as white people. And look, there's nothing wrong with that, but own who you are, own your identity, because your identity isn't those trace drops of DNA that you, that you either 23andMe or Ancestry.com told you, or some family lore suggested exists. Because the vast majority of people who, who believe that they're native people, um, or, or I'm sorry, they don't believe it. They claim to be native people. If they do a, uh, some sort of DNA test, they'll find that it's either not true or so remote and so little, like Elizabeth Warren, that, that it's, it's, it doesn't even justify mentioning. Now, again, she had some small percentage that showed up in her DNA, so there probably was something in her family lore going back far enough. But I'll tell you, you go back far enough, it's not like you had a big church wedding where some native woman was you know, dressed in white and, and walked down the aisle. No. Oftentimes there wasn't a marriage at all. There, there was, there was, you know, it, it was a rape culture that our women have always experienced and continue to experience. In fact, 
part of this mascot issue is about fetishizing Native people and Native women. So, look, for anybody who, who says, why does John Cain always talk about this mascot issue? Because it's an underlying problem. When we go out into the world and we have to meet with, with, a, with a politician or a news director of Channel 10 News, and we have to explain Native culture to them because they don't have a freaking clue, they're just going to go on the last thing they heard because they were raised that, oh yeah, that image on the football helmet, that's what an Indian is. They don't know any different. They don't, they don't know the difference between an elected chief and a, and, and a traditional um, uh, governing system that has chiefs or clan mothers. They, they don't know the difference. Why? Because they're never taught that stuff. Even the schools that carry these mascots don't teach anything. They certainly don't know about boarding schools. So, I mean, this is, this is why I confront this. I mean, and, and there clearly is an incredible dichotomy or hypocrisy when you consider that white schools and, and they were they all are predominantly white schools appropriated our names or images, then redefined them for their own purposes, so they can run around calling themselves Indians or warriors or Redskins. And they did this at the same time that native children were being ripped from their homes, beaten, if not tortured, in these Indian boarding schools slash residential schools, where the policy was kill the Indian, save the man, which meant that they were either going to kill that child or they were going to kill any semblance of Native identity in that child. That was the intent. And that was a government-funded program. In, in some cases, even New York State funded Thomas Indian School right here on the Seneca Nation Territory, which did the same thing. It was always about indoctrination. Um, when when its claim was that it was, it was to help orphan children, and then they ripped children out of homes to create orphans out of them, then you've crossed a line here. And this was a policy that operated for really over 200 years, but predominantly for 100 years, from the late 1800s to the, to the you know, past the midway point of the 1900s. I mean, it was 1970s, 1990s that some of these schools were finally closed. And, you know, they, they used the Indian Child Welfare Act as part of um, the language that would shut down some of these schools or end some of the policies of forced Native kids, uh, Native kids being forced into these residential schools. There still are some existing today. Now, and, and, and I can't speak to their, to their environment or their climate, but I, mean, I don't think the children are necessarily forced into these schools, except for possibly by their parents, who were probably already indoctrinated through the residential school era or grandparents. So this is the world we live in where, where white people can claim Native identity for their amusement and entertainment, where there's been a over 200 year history of indoctrination and assimilation and driving out the native identity of native kids. I mean, it's absurd. And if you taught this in history, I mean, if you were fully going to acknowledge that native people were driven from the area known as Schoharie or Fonda, you know, or Minisink or whatever else. Yeah, you've got names associated with places. You have place names that still are some sort of bastardized version of, of native language. But the people are gone. And if you can't own the fact that you drove out Native people, now only to turn around and claim their identity for your school mascot, and, and not appreciate the absurdity of that, or the offensive nature of that. And of course, like I said, I've talked about why it's wrong, you know, and the relics of the past. But at the end of the day, any stereotyping of a people, 
Anytime you take a people and you say, this is what we're defining them as, and then you promote that through schools, and then you even got to violate all kinds of rules or grammar to, to try to justify what, you, what you're keeping as your nickname. But if you're, if you're doing this stuff, and you're, you're actually the antithesis of what education should represent, then, and look, and you have laws in the book. Part of the reason that said was able to pass this ban is because they have a law in the books called the Dignity for All Students Act, which, is, which prohibits discrimination. Stereotyping is discrimination. Of course, you also have the New York State Board of Regents that has been really pushing the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, you know, policies to be adopted by schools. Well, you can't have a DEI policy and a native mascot at the same time. They don't coexist. They, you know, I mean, they just don't, they, they can't exist together because one is a conflict in conflict to the other. So, I mean, this is really a no-brainer for the most part. And, and, but but I tell, I'll tell you, I'm going to continue to talk about it. I'm in the process of trying to, you know, create perhaps a manuscript that will one day be a book, and it's called Mocked. And, and that's, that's a project that I'm working on. But you know what? I've also offered to go into schools to explain to students why the name had to be changed. And, and not, to, not to go there and insult them or, or, their, or their parents, or their you know, alumni parents or grandparents or uncles and aunts. No, but just to explain, look, our voice hasn't been heard in the 50, 60, 70 years we've been, we've been complaining about this. So we got a couple of people to join our chorus here. We got some, some, some white folks to join in. We got some black folks to join in. As I've said many times on this show, there is no question that the Black Lives Matter movement in the wake of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor impacted the Washington football team changing its name and, uh, the, the, and the Cleveland baseball team from changing its name. It also you know, uh, contributed to the toppling of Columbus statues even as the Confederate statues were coming down. So if you're social justice-minded and you can't acknowledge that there's a certain, and, and I'll say it, unique racism that Native people experience through this use of mascots, nobody else is used this way. I, I put the challenge out. Look, if you're a school that wants to honor a specific people, perhaps an American people, what about black people? I mean, not only are there some great sports figures you could, you could acknowledge in doing so, but why wouldn't black people be honored? And you don't have to be a white school to do it. I mean, but even if you were a black school to do it, what would you call that team? And how would you represent it as a mascot? Is there any way you could do it appropriately? I had somebody says, well, there's all these schools called MLK uh, High School. I know, but that might be the name of the school. But that doesn't mean Martin Luther King was their mascot. You know, so, you know, we get these absurd responses to the statements we make about this. And, and we're seeing some pretty absurd responses to this ban that was issued in, um, in November of, of last year. Which, and, of course, they did say that they are finalizing the rules. And, that, and those rules are going to be finalized by the New York State Board of Regents um, next month. And the, but the rules are defined. They're, they're not changing the rules. There's been no you know, public comments that, that decried, you know, certain, you know, parts of the rule. So this is what's going to, this is going to be the, the, the law, essentially, uh, or, the, or at least the rule of the, uh, of the education department. 
backed by law, not just by the, the Dignity for All Students Act, but, but even by a couple of court rulings when Cambridge tried to sue the uh, sue NYSED for ordering them to, um, you know, to, to get rid of their, their mascot. So, look, I know schools are going to be, some schools are going to be belligerent about it, and I certainly know some parents are going to be belligerent about it. They're going to try to wear their, all their native, tattered native T-shirts that they've had since they were in high school, their glory days of high school. But this is what, um, this is what's in place right now. It, there's a statewide ban, and, and I'm hoping, frankly, that the state legislature does come back through and pass a law that, that coincides with the ruling that uh, the New York State Department of Education made. Um, I think that would be appropriate, but I'll tell you, I said from the start, I'm, I'm, I don't think that the, legis the, the uh, Department of Education needed the legislature to, to issue a ban. They had all the authority they needed, and it was proven out in court. They do have laws that didn't exist back when, even when Richard Mills 20 years ago called on, on, on schools to get rid of their mascots. So, look, they have the authority. I mean, it, it'd be nice to have it more codified in law. Um, and if it was, at this point, what, what NYSED has said is that if you don't comply, we can, we can withhold some funding. And we can even remove some of your school officers. And no, they don't mean police officers. They mean board of, uh, you know, school board members or superintendents or administrators. So, and, and it wasn't just put out there as a threat. Okay, we're going to cut your funding and remove your officers. It was like, this is what we have the authority to do. So you must comply. And so these schools have to have this in place by the end of this school year, a plan. Now, they don't have to have everything stripped down yet, but they have to have a plan in place by the end of the school year. And the window to, to try to skirt the rules is really closing fast, especially the window for, for trying to get permission from, you know, from some chief someplace. And it's not only closing fast, but it's a pretty tight rule. And, and frankly, the council that I'm a part of, and, and there's, there's anywhere from nine to a dozen of us from all over the, the, the nations, you know, Long Island, the Shinnecock, Puspatuck, uh, Aquasasne, uh, Onondaga, from all over that are a part of this thing. I'm the only one who's not necessarily a, a tribal council member or, or a, a, um, an employee of the, of, the, of the tribe or the nation. I'm, and, and that's why I feel at liberty to discuss this stuff, because I'm not violating the advisory council by talking about this stuff. Look, when, when somebody notified me that Channel 10 did this story regarding Tom Porter and, and the Braves, um, I responded immediately. And I responded to, to NYSED. I responded to, to Channel, uh, Channel 10 News. And, uh, and I reached out to some people. So, but this is what I do. I mean, it's not, I'm not so, you know, solely involved in this, you know, in, in the uh, mascot issue. But I and many other people, including member, many other people on this advisory council, who may not have regarded the mascot issue as, as a high priority years ago, we have all come to understand that it touches everything. From how, how do we deal with the residential school era? How do we deal with missing and murdered indigenous women? How do we deal with the rape culture and the fact that Native women are four times more likely to be sexually assaulted than any other group of women in, in the country? And, and how do we deal with the ignorance that we in, invariably have to face? I mean, even when we hire a lawyer, we have to educate them first. And then he claims to be an Indian expert after that. 
But we've got to we've got to educate educators. We've got to educate industry em, em, employers. We've got to educate um, elected officials. We've got to edu we've got to educate everybody because most of them are very ignorant because they weren't given any education related to native people, especially as we exist today. And and you can't understand how we exist today if you don't understand the very, very ugly and uncomfortable history in everything from massacres and slavery to residential schools to being abused at the state level on every turn, everything from having our territories reduced to land use issues. I mean, it's, it's stuff that we still fight today. We're still fighting New York State over, over taxation. We're still fighting New York State over things like uh, revenue sharing associated with gaming. This, the, we, these battles continue, but they, don't, they, they didn't just pop up in a vacuum. They're all based on a history that's not very good. And all these white people claiming to honor us with their mascots, no, you're not. You're not doing it. So, again, I am back. <laughs> I, um, I will, you know, I'm going to keep everybody abreast on what's going on with this thing. This is, you know, this is coming down the pike. And, you know, it is a big deal that New York State has a ban. Don't, don't let it be diminished in any capacity because I'm seeing New York and the New York State Department of Education being much more assertive than even some of the other states that have bans, like Vermont and Colorado. So I'm happy to be part of the voice that gets heard in these NYSED determinations on, on whether a school has complied or not. So I'll keep you abreast. Um, it won't be the only issue that I talk about, but it will be an issue that I'll continue to talk about. So I want to thank you for listening. Um, do support WPFW in Washington, D.C. and WBAI in New York City. And look, if uh, things go well, I plan to make a couple of road trips and maybe do some live in-studio um, appearances in Washington and New York and, and other places. So, so uh, stay tuned. We're coming. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.